Hi, I'm Bob Ramsey, Toronto writer and commentator. Twice a week, I offer my take on the world, from craven politics and unchecked ambition to secret sauces, bitter loss, and fist-pumping redemption. They're stories to live by. Quirky, high-style, tear-jerking, funny ha-ha, sometimes funny peculiar. My tales don't walk down the sidewalk and browse in the windows. They sneak into alleyways and come out onto different worlds. Alex Brown narrates each mini-podcast to bring to your ears what you see with your eyes in my twice-a-week blogs. And now, today's episode of Ramsey Writes. Trump in the Bunker Written by Bob Ramsey No, Donald Trump is not Adolf Hitler. The Republican Party is not the Nazis, and America is not the Third Reich. But in these fiery last days of America's first seditious president, there is a sense that the White House will become the president's bunker. So it's worthwhile to go back to Berlin in May 1945, to the Führer bunker, to get a sense of the bunker mentality that pervaded its final Wagnerian chapter. The best account of those desperate days is provided by British historian Hugh Trevor Roper in The Last Days of Hitler, which The Guardian proclaimed as one of the 100 best non-fiction books of all time. One of Hitler's secretaries, Erna Flegel, claimed of Hitler that, even then, his authority was extraordinary, he was charming. She also said that as the Russians drew closer to Berlin, others inside the bunker began to live outside reality. At the end, we were like a big family, she said. Many reports tell of a strangely carnival atmosphere in the final days, mixed, as always, with Hitler's fits of rage. In the week before he shot himself, his aide simply stopped obeying his orders. As Armin Lehmann, a fanatical 16-year-old member of the Hitler Youth and message runner to and from the bunker said, It never entered my mind, even then, as the bombs rained down, that we would lose. Still, many slunk out of the bunker, hoping to disappear into the civilian population of the city, or even flee Germany itself. Last month, Alex Ross wrote in The New Yorker about revisiting Hitler's final days in the bunker. He lists all kinds of memes comparing Trump and Hitler, and says... The spectacle of a power-hungry narcissist receiving his comeuppance is irresistible, and it is played out in innumerable times in history and fiction. But Ross believes that comparisons between Trump and Hitler ring faults on many levels. I couldn't agree more. Yes, like Hitler, Trump presents himself as the single source of truth. His fake news echoes Hitler's Lügenpress, the lying press. They both referred to reporters as enemies of the people. But, if anything, Trump's minions, including his family, are more delusional about what the future holds for them than the ragtag band of never-enders in 1945. Let's look at what happened last Wednesday, just before and after the insurrection. At 12 noon, Trump spoke for 70 minutes, God save us at a Save America rally at the Ellipse outside the White House. There, he claimed, This election was an egregious assault on our democracy. We will not let them silence your votes. We are going to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue, and we are going to the Capitol. The rest is already history. 
But at 11.30 a.m., the president went to the VIP tent behind the stage, where he watched the crowds gathering. Clearly, he and his family weren't just celebrating, they were dancing. It feels like being in the VIP tent at a giant tailgate party. So what were Trump and his people doing while the Congress was being stormed? At the time when the senators had been evacuated from the actual Senate and were in a large holding room to escape the mob, the president called Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville from Alabama. But he dialed another senator by mistake, Mike Lee of Utah, who then put the president on hold and went to find Tuberville, who eventually did speak with Mr. Trump, who kept him on the line for nearly 10 minutes, to persuade him to make additional objections to the Electoral College vote. Even though Trump was watching all this on television at the White House, at no time did the president call his vice president, who was in a special safe room in the Congress building, to ask if he was safe. What was Republican Senator Ted Cruz doing as the rioters smashed windows to get into the Congress building? He was raising funds. As his nemesis, Democratic Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, goaded in a tweet, Isn't this you? Your campaign sent out this fundraising message as people were sieging at the Capitol. You claim to be leading the fight to reject electors. Clashes started around 1.20 p.m. This message was sent after the Capitol was breached. Here's Cruz's message at 3.33 p.m. Ted Cruz here. I'm leading the fight to reject electors from key states unless there is an emergency audit of the election results. Will you stand with me? This was followed by a link to his fundraising site. Later the same day, Donald Trump was reported to be delighted by his support at the Capitol riot. Ten days from now, Joe Biden will be sworn in as president. In the infinity between now and then, as the Trump administration scrambles from cocky to cornered, from White House to bunker, we will see if the parallels to Berlin on April 30th, 1945, are close or not. Today's Ramsey Writes was read by Alex Brown. For more information on Bob Ramsey, his work, and all the other things he does besides writing, go to RamseyInc.com. Dot com. That's R-A-M-S-A-Y-I-N-C dot com.